only been in the series two weeks. It's our third week, and already it's been a great series. First week, we talked about the forgotten virtue of honor, and last week, we talked about the forgotten virtue of purity. Uh, It's been kind of a surprise to me. I thought these were going to sort of be one topic, kind of onesie sermons on each topic, and already what surprised me is how integrated, intertwined these virtues are. And it's been interesting with just the first two. I was talking to someone this week, and it became apparent that if in your relationships, if in your marriage, in your parent-child relationships even, if you will work on the virtues of honor and purity, there's a power that comes when you work on those together. And if you put them together, the word that comes out is cherished. Cherished. You treat a wife or husband, parent or kid with honor and purity, they will feel cherished. I mean, what a gift to give someone in a relationship. What a gift to get from someone in a relationship. Now, the way to be cherished is to cherish. If you don't feel cherished, maybe you need to do more cherishing. Because where does the process of honor and purity start? Well, it starts with you. It starts in your own heart. Today I want to talk to you about one of the most forgotten virtues, and that's loyalty. And it's interesting how loyalty flows out of, you know, if, if someone treats you with honor, someone treats you with purity, you feel cherished, and what's the response? Loyalty. You want to be loyal to them. You feel that they are loyal to you. I want to start with a little interactive survey here today just to get you involved. And how many of you would agree that in society today, disloyalty is a significant problem? Anybody recognize disloyalty? Put your hands up, hold them up, let everybody see. Okay, yeah. I mean, we've established the need. Okay? Now, I want to continue here, and I want you to participate. Uh, No holdouts. Uh, How many of you would say that for the most part, you're a pretty loyal person? Okay, put them way up, look around. Okay, so do you see the tension that I'm dealing with here today? Disloyalty is a big problem in our culture, but we are all as loyal as a golden retriever. Okay? You know, uh, the only explanation I can figure is, is there must be churches full of very disloyal people, just not this one. Okay? Because we're basically loyal. So on your notes, we're going to start with the problem that disloyalty is very difficult to see in the mirror. Disloyalty is very difficult to see in the mirror. I mean, we'd like to say, oh, I'm loyal to you. I'm loyal, and if I'm ever not loyal to you, it's because you have been disloyal to me. It's because you have pushed me a bridge too far. You're not loyal to me, so yes, disloyalty is a big problem, but it's your problem. I mean, I could tell you all day long that that I'm a loyal friend, but in a pinch, I am often the most loyal to myself. Most of us are. And disloyalty can be difficult to see in the mirror. Probably the best example of this is in the New Testament when Peter claimed loyalty to Jesus above all else. Over and over again through the Gospels, Peter said, I am your most faithful follower, Jesus. If all these other guys leave you, I never will. I am your loyal guy. Matthew 26, 33, Peter said to Jesus, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. 
Peter said, if everybody else walks away, Jesus, I never will. I am completely loyal to you, I promise. And yet before the evening was out, three different people came up to Peter and said, hey, weren't you with that Jesus guy? And Peter said, I don't even know who you're talking about. Not once, not twice, three times. And then just as Jesus said, the rooster crowed, and Peter realized what he had done, that he had been disloyal to Christ. And the Bible says he went outside and wept bitterly. Because Peter thought he would be loyal. He thought he would, but when things got tough, he was loyal to himself. Now the great thing about that story is is Jesus forgives Peter and and they reestablish their relationship and Peter goes on to be so loyal to Jesus Christ that he literally gave his life as a martyr for the cause of Christ. So there's hope. But what we need to understand, write this down. True loyalty is proven, not proclaimed. It's proven not proclaimed. I just ask you, are you basically a loyal person? And yeah, this loyalty is a problem in the culture, but uh, not for me. Loyalty is proven, not proclaimed. Many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man who can find. Uh, There's a story in the Bible about loyalty. It's a loyalty between a military commander and King David. And the context of the story is King David had a son. He actually had his third son, Absalom. And Absalom grew up, committed a heinous crime, a murder, wound up on the run for his life. And three years later, he returns with an army. And he's going to overthrow his father David's throne. Now, David has been faithful to Absalom all this time. Yet Absalom has been disloyal to his own father. And so now King David is on the run for his life. And there's a mercenary by the name of Ittai. Ittai was a hired soldier. He's actually the commander of 600 mercenaries. And Ittai volunteered to fight on David's behalf. And we got the story, 2 Samuel 15, 19. It says, the king said to Ittai the Gittite, and I'm going to stop right there and say, I love Bible names. Don't you love Bible names? Ittai the Gittite. I mean, I just love that. Probably because I'm stuck with Kelly. Okay? Anyway, King David said to Ittai the Gittite, Why should you come along with us? Go back and stay with King Absalom. You are a foreigner, an exile from your homeland. You came only yesterday. Go back and take your countrymen. May kindness and faithfulness be with you. In other words, David's given the guy a free pass. David says, you're not from around here. You're a new guy. You don't have a dog in this fight. So why don't you and your men, don't run the risk of getting injured and killed. Why don't you guys just just go back home? Verse 21. But Ittai replied to the king, and watch this loyalty. As surely as the Lord lives. I mean, how sure is that? And as my Lord the king lives. Wherever my lord the king may be, whether it means life or death, there will your servant be. And not only did Ittai proclaim it, but he proved it. And he leads his 600 men into battle, and he fought so faithfully that when the battle is over, David promoted Ittai to be the commander over a third of his army. Because Ittai had embraced the virtue of loyalty. No matter what it costs me, even if it costs me my life. I'm not loyal up to a point, David. I'm not loyal conditionally. I'm not loyal as long as the battle's going our way. 
they would all be loyal to you forever, whatever it cost me. That's the forgotten virtue of loyalty. Now, what I want to do in the next few minutes here is just look at opportunities to be disloyal. Where in our life can disloyalty rear its ugly head? And obviously, the first one is going to be to your spouse. To be disloyal to your spouse, you have to ignore God's word. You have to ignore when God said in Malachi 2.15, Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. I mean, didn't the Lord make you one with your husband? Make you one with your wife? Oh, pastor, that's just so old-fashioned. Doesn't God say to guard your heart? Nobody does that anymore. God says to remain loyal to the wife of your youth. Why? Why should you be loyal? Next verse. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. Now notice, God does not say, I hate divorced people. He doesn't say that. God says, I hate divorce. Why? Because he knows what it does to people. He knows what divorce does to families, to children. Look what it says. Because to divorce your wife, to divorce your husband, is to overwhelm them with cruelty. To divorce your spouse is is to destroy a family. And God says, please, don't do that. Guard your heart. And do not be, what? Unfaithful to your wife. Do not be unfaithful to your husband. And the most basic disloyalty would be to commit adultery. And we claim to be a loyal person. But according to the numbers, 40 to 60% of us will commit adultery on our spouse. 40 to 60%. That's a serious loyalty gap. Don't forget about the covenant you made to your spouse before God. Don't forget the forgotten virtue of loyalty. Honor, purity, loyalty. Now, there are some more creative and subtle ways to be disloyal besides adultery. You know, I I see guys who are masters at this next manifestation of disloyalty. I mean, I'll see a guy who is masterfully disloyal to his wife by taking shots at her in public. You know, but it's always masked with humor. Because the guy's brilliant. The guy is a genius. You know, he can tear her down. He can tear her apart. But it's always with a joke. That way, if she gets upset or if somebody calls him on it, he can just say, oh, can't you take a joke? But the truth is, he's being disloyal. Now, when I see that, often the wife doesn't take it laying down. She comes back, she tears him down. She, you know, he's a master, she's a Jedi. Okay? You know, I mean, you ought to watch her work. I mean, she tears him down in front of other people. Oh, if only you were a better provider. If only you were smarter. If only you were a godly man. And she just says it in front of other people. She says it in front of the kids. You you can be disloyal to your spouse in subtle ways by dishonoring them, by belittling them in public or even in the home. Guys, another way to be disloyal is to look lustfully at other women. That's another way to be disloyal. You know, you're out to dinner with your spouse and a good-looking woman walks by and you just gawk and ogle. Or you go to the gym and you gawk and ogle. Or you get online and you gawk and ogle. You know, you don't even have to do it with your eyes. You can just have disloyal thoughts. 
You can think about an old girlfriend or think about some hot actress and you can be disloyal with lustful thoughts about other women. Ladies, you can be disloyal by the way you dress. When, when you don't reserve your body for him, when you show it to everybody that walks by, you've got cleavage and midriff and tight and short and you show what you've got to everybody and then you withhold it from him. That's being disloyal. I mean, there are just so many ways to be disloyal to your spouse. And one of the biggest is to just put anything else ahead of your marriage and your family. You know, it could be work, it could be your hobby, it could be your friends and activities, it could be your yard. You just put it ahead, put it first. You're more loyal to something else other than the family that you are to be loyal to. I got to tell you, honestly, this is hard preaching. These are hard things to say, especially when we all want to be loyal people. Second group, people to be disloyal, would be to your friends. A friend is always loyal, and a brother is born to help in time of need. You know, one of the ways you can be disloyal to your friends is to gossip about them. You know, you go to a small group or you go to some event with your friends, and then, and then you just talk about them after. And you talk to other people, and, oh, you can't believe how they handle their money. I can't believe how they treat each other. I can't believe they do this or that. And you just gossip about them. That's an act of disloyalty. And you don't even have to gossip. You just you listen to gossip about your friends, not correct it, not stop it. Just, just listen to it is an act of disloyalty. Another way to be disloyal to a friend is not to tell them the truth. They ask you something and the truth is going to hurt their feelings or the truth is going to be difficult for them to hear. Maybe it's just difficult for you to say and so you lie to them instead of telling them the truth. If you don't confront them about something that they're doing that's wrong, if you don't love them enough to stand in their way. I mean, I know we're supposed to stand with our friends, but sometimes we need to stand in front of them. We need to stand up to them and say, no, 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 don't do this. Because I'm your friend, I'm not going to let you do this. That's being loyal. In a friendship, when you have a hard time, you have a little tiff, you get upset, you just walk off, write them off. You know, what's hot today is to walk away. Somebody hurts you, you just walk away. And the biblical thing to do is to work through the tunnel of conflict, but too many people want to just back out of the tunnel and not go through it. Another opportunity for disloyalty is you can be disloyal to Christ's church. New Testament Christians were loyal to the local church. They took Jesus seriously when he talked about the church. They believed in the church. And today, too many people don't want to make time to really be part of the church. You know, we want to add a little bit of Jesus into our life, but we don't want to be connected to the church. We like Jesus, we're just not too sure about his body and his bride. I read recently a Christian blogger who said he has left the church. He claims he's graduated from the church. He claims he's outgrown the church. Doesn't need the church anymore. And, you know, I read that and I just think, how arrogant, how, how, how prideful. To claim I have outgrown the church would be to claim I'm more spiritual than the Apostle Paul. I'm more spiritual than the Apostles Peter, James, and John because they never claimed to have outgrown the church. 
It even flies in the face of Christ. Christ didn't call me to outgrow the church. Christ didn't call me to graduate from the church. Jesus Christ called me, calls every believer, to build the church. The church is Christ's body. The church is Christ's bride. It's not something we graduate from or outgrow. And when you read the New Testament, you're reading a document that's written about and written to the church. You know, the Gospels tell the story of Jesus Christ living and dying for the church. The hinge pin of the Gospels is when, when Peter said, uh, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, on that confession, I will build my church. Hinge pin of history. History changed at that moment. The focus changed from Israel to the church. And that's the whole point of Christ coming and dying. The book of Acts is about the birth, the founding, the growth of the church. It's the Acts of the Apostles. Well, what did the Apostles do? They planted churches. Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and Thessalonians. Those are all written to churches. In fact, if you wanted to hear what was in those letters, you had to go to church and hear it because they were read in the churches. Hebrews, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st and 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, Revelation. They were all written to groups. They were written to communities of believers, churches. In fact, Revelation is written to seven churches. The only New Testament book addressed to an individual is Philemon. Now, let me back up. 1st and 2nd and and Timothy and Titus were written to individuals too. They were written to individuals who were pastors of churches. But Philemon's written to an individual. It's one chapter long, about 25 verses. And in the third verse, Paul says to Philemon, and tell this to the church that meets in your house. <laughs> you know, if you want to know what God is up to today, if you want to be involved in God's program for this age, you need to be involved in a local church. Because it's what Christ is doing. Look at the people in the New Testament, Acts 2.42. says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including Lord's Supper, and to prayer. says they devoted themselves to teaching, to fellowship, to sharing meals and prayer. They were a community that did life together. They cared for one another. They ministered to one another. They got deep into committed relationships. It says all the believers were together and they had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They cared for one another and met one another's needs. They were faithful in meeting together. I mean, what a picture of loyalty to the local church. And you know what that sounds like? That sounds like you guys. (laughs) That sounds like you guys. Devoted to the teaching. I mean, you're here. Devoted to one another. Devoted to prayer. Devoted to meals. Sounds like you guys. Now, things aren't always idyllic in the church. Because the church is made up of people. It's made up of broken, sinful, wounded people. And from time to time, there are problems, there are contentions, there are divisions. You know, those things come in, the flesh comes in, the devil comes in, wants to break the unity of the church, wants to sow seeds of disloyalty in the church. That's why the Bible includes so many exhortations, so many encouragements toward keeping the peace, keeping the unity, keeping the harmony within the church. Because loyalty to the church is a very high value in the Bible. It's important. Now, all that being said, disloyalty is difficult 
to see in the mirror. You know, we all admit that disloyalty is a problem today, but most of us don't think it's a problem with me. Because we're loyal. We're loyal. But basically, we're loyal to ourselves. And that can be really hard to see. I want to bring some focus to this by looking at what, what is disloyalty born out of? What is the source of disloyalty? Where does it come from? Now, on your notes, write this down. All disloyalty is born out of a divided heart. Disloyalty is born out of a divided heart. Now, you think about loyalty from God's perspective. Think about, about you know, God created us to show us his love. God created us to be in deep, rich fellowship, relationship with him. And God was so loyal to us that while we were disloyal to him, he sent his son to die on the cross to save us from the sin of disloyalty, to save us from our sin. And even when we are faithless and disloyal, God remains faithful and loyal to us. And here's what he asked. God God asked from all of us. God asked for all of our hearts. Jesus clearly said, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. He wants all of our hearts. He wants us to follow him wholeheartedly. He doesn't want us to follow him half-heartedly. He doesn't want us to follow him with a divided heart. He doesn't want us to follow him with a broken heart. And that's one of the problems that we have today is is everybody has a broken heart. And we're trying to be loyal out of a broken heart and it just doesn't work. You can't do it. And so if most of us were honest, we would say, you know what, my heart's divided. My heart's broken. But if that's all we do, we're never going to have a unified whole heart. If all we do is recognize that our heart is divided, recognize that our heart is broken... We'll never move any closer to a unified, whole heart. So here's what James says. Here's what the Bible says. And honestly, I believe for some of you today, this next moment is going to be life-changing. I mean, I've been praying about this message this week, and, and believe me, the need is so great, and God is so faithful that I cannot believe in this moment that those two aren't going to come together, and the Holy Spirit is, is going to do some amazing stuff right here. It's happened all weekend. It's happened. Because this is just, it's too important not to. And some of you will be able, some of you will just shake it off because you're skilled at shaking off what God wants to do in your life. And some of you will shake it off and just go on. But there will be some of you who will hear this and you will hear this in this moment for the very first time. And it will be like God is speaking to you. And you will respond. Look what it says in James 4, 8, and 9. It says, come close to God and God will come close to you. I mean, imagine the power in that. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Purify your hearts, because your loyalty is divided. It's divided between God and the world. Here's what he says to do. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Let there be mourning. Let there be repenting for the division in our hearts. And when I get close to God, when I get close to him and I see the faithfulness, I see the loyalty in God, it just makes the 
the unfaithfulness and the disloyalty in my own heart just stand out so much more clearly. And it begins to grieve me and it drives me to repentance. I mean, God has been perfectly faithful to us and yet our loyalty is divided. It's divided. You know, I want a little bit of Him, but I want some of the world too. I want God, but I want my stuff. Yeah, I want God's will, but, but I want my will too. I want to be loyal as long as it works for me. James says, let there be deep repentance. And maybe today, some of you, you need to go to your family. You, you need to go to your spouse and just say, it just grieves me deeply that I have been disloyal. I have belittled you. I have put you down. I've been unfaithful with my eyes. I've been unfaithful with my words, with my actions. But with the power of Christ, I will be loyal to you. Maybe some of you, it'll be to a friend. You may need to say, I I haven't been a good friend. I haven't been there for you. I haven't had your back. I've gossiped about you more than I've prayed for you. And I just want you to know today that by this power of the Holy Spirit, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I'm going to be a more loyal friend. Or maybe it's to the church. You know, maybe there are some of you, you know, many of you have been very, very faithful to the church. You, you recognize that you are the church, and I praise God for you. But maybe for some of you, you, you realize today, you know what, I've just been going to church when I'm supposed to be the church. I've just been attending when, when I'm supposed to be committed. I'm supposed to be cooperating. I'm supposed to be connecting, not just consuming You haven't become a member. You haven't made the commitment of loyalty. And maybe today you'd realize, you know what, I need to be more loyal to Christ's church because he died for it. It's important. It's what he calls me to. And for some of you, you, you've just got that miserable, sinking feeling, God, I have been disloyal to you. And it's okay just to repent and to grieve and hurt and even to cry. Just call out and say, God, please come in, cleanse me, purify my heart. Forgive me, draw me close to you, and make my heart whole. You know, it's good to recognize disloyalty is a problem in our culture, but when I look into the mirror of God's word, I've got to see that disloyalty is actually a problem of mine. But with the help, the power of God, through the death and resurrection of his son, through the power and presence of his spirit, I will no longer have a divided heart. My heart will be sold out to him. Let's pray together. Father, this is a tough message, and it may have even blindsided some people, but we have to admit that disloyalty is a significant issue today. And so you, we would ask that you would help us to see any disloyalty in us. And God, I thank you for your forgiveness and that it is real. And I ask you that you would come close to us as we draw close to you and that that you would empower us not just to proclaim but to prove our loyalty by our actions to the people in our lives and to you and to the church. And today as we're praying, maybe there are those of you who would say, you know, I, I see it. I see there's disloyalty in me. And I want to grieve and repent and I want to draw close to God and I want him to change me. And right now, maybe you just lift up your hand and say, God, it's me. Over here, God, it is me. 
I repent, I grieve, I need your help to be loyal. Make my heart whole. God, I thank you for those whose hearts are sensitive to you and would recognize the disloyalty even in our own lives. And I just pray now that you would heal us, that you would come in, that you would heal up our relationships, that you would heal our families, that there would be husbands and wives and parents and children that would find healing in their relationships and that we confess and repent and pray, God, do a work in our hearts. I pray we would be loyal to you, to your word, and to your church. And as we continue to pray, maybe you recognize that you've never fully committed your life to the one who's committed to you. That God showed his faithfulness to you when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life, to be the perfect sacrifice on the cross for your sins. And Jesus shed his blood on the cross so your sins could be forgiven. And God raised him from the dead to prove that that sacrifice was sufficient. And now anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone who calls on the name of Jesus Christ will be saved. And so today, maybe you're saying, God, here I am. I'm calling. I want Jesus Christ to come into my life and forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. Bind up my wounded, broken heart. Make it whole. And God, as you heal my heart, I give you all my heart all my mind, all my soul, all my strength. God, I want to be loyal to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.